Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Benjamin Graham with the news. In horoscopes, Pisces, your sentimentality is holding you back. Let go of those not positively impacting your life. Aries, your unwavering honesty is your biggest strength, but be cautious as your words carry weight. Taurus, your obsessions are toxic, and pursuing them will only eat you alive and tear you apart. If you can let go, then viva Zebul. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Sup, constant readers. And today, we are going after part two of Rose Matter. This is chapters five through seven, and we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thank you. First, a recap of what we talked about last time. Rosie suffers abuse at the hands of her horrible husband, police detective Norman Daniels, for about 14 years before she finally escapes with nothing but the clothes on her back and the bank card. He hunts her down and follows her to the unnamed big city. Rosie meets kind strangers and starts to get her life back, even getting a job as a voice actress. She finds a cool painting in a pawn shop, meets someone interesting. We leave off with Rosie and Bill, that's someone interesting, having a cute first date while Norman brutally murders Peter Slowick, the first kind stranger Rosie met. And Rosie notices some changes in her painting. Did I do, did I do something weird? No, no. no. That was, that was, <laughs> it, I'd not thought about the contrast of that sweet date with the uh, eating of Peter Slowick's penis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that happens <laughs> uh, a lot uh, where Rosie is doing something that's positive, that's really good for her simultaneously. While Norman is doing something just absolutely unforgivable, uh, which makes me think one of the notes I took and wanted to bring up with you guys, how do I put it? Rosie and Norman have a connection. A, and I don't mean that they were married for 14 years and they he brutally abused her. They have a psychic link that reminded me of uh, two characters that we've read about before. I think we might be thinking the same thing, because I was also kind of thinking this. Who, who who do you have? Who do you think? It made me think of Thad and George. It totally made yeah. me think of Thad and George, right? Yeah. They're complete opposites. They are. It's... Weird. What do you guys think about that? You're totally right, because as she gets stronger mentally, physically, just better health because she's not being beaten, Mm -hmm. he starts to lose it. He starts to get crazier as if that's even a thing. He is falling (laughs) apart. He is becoming inhuman. Mm -hmm. I can't wait till he's pecked to death by a bunch of birds. (laughs) I I can't wait. Near the end of uh, this section that we're reading today... There's a very satisfying... It's the best. I uh, can't wait to get to that scene. We pick back up with Rosie in the studio, and she is getting some blunt and much-needed advice from Rhoda, the station manager. She's telling Rosie that Robbie is going to make her an offer, and he's not a bad guy or anything, but he has his best interests in mind, naturally, not hers. It is her job to look out for herself. No one's going to do that for her. And I'm interested in what you two thought of the scene as men, because as a woman, I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, Yeah, I I love all the scenes of Rosie at work. She's a natural. She's so good at what she does. And all of the people seem very nice. They're all actually looking out for her. But yeah, I totally, I totally liked this of uh, her being like, fucking stand up for yourself. Like, kick his ass. Do it. You can do this. I was like, oh yeah. Get him, Rosie. Well, her her ability has saved them $700 in studio time alone, which is massive. It's something that nobody can believe that is happening. Mm. And that's why 
she's sticking up for her so bad. I think the thing I found very interesting in this scene, there's two lines. I rarely write down quotes Mm. when we do this, but I wrote down two quotes. And the first one is when Rhoda sees her because at this point uh, she's dyed her hair. So now she's blonde and she said Rhoda describes her as so tabula rasa. It's scary. And I don't think uh, uh, tabula rasa, you guys know the blank blank slate. It is something that like that has been has permeated pop culture now, but I feel like at the time this was written, that probably wasn't as common a phrase. Yeah. But I think it's so perfect to describe that oh in a weird way, Rosie was less than nothing in her own eyes. And to be uh, I almost feel like Tabula Ross being called a blank slate is a compliment to her at this point <laughs> because I mean she's moved up and I don't know, I felt like that was a, a weird way to describe, but yes, she looks different, but internally it's it's a self-worth thing. Like she's almost reached she's reached level now. Yeah. I I agree with that. I think she was also speaking to how naive Rosie is mm-hmm. too. And because Rosie almost yeah, is when she's first bringing this up with her, Rosie's kind of on the defense and not defensive of herself, but mm-hmm. of Robbie. And that shows just her naivety. It's like you to look out for yourself is not to do him a disservice or betray him. He's looking out for himself. You look out for yourself. It's business. Which yeah. brings me to the second quote that I wrote down was she says, don't let him own you. Rhoda doesn't know what Rosie's been through. And I just felt like that was a really cool that 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 phrase has so many more meanings to Rosie than Rhoda's even aware of. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. In a competitive industry like that, this conversation could have had a completely different tone. And I'm glad it didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, that's also another thing that recurs throughout this book. I keep expecting the worst. Yes. Um, which is kind of strange because that's kind of her mindset is through her years with Norman, she's been trained to expect, oh, all of humanity is garbage because that's Norman's outlook on the world. Mm-hmm. And yet throughout the book, there are so many instances where I'm like cringing in anticipation of something <laughs> yes. terrible happening. But things turn out okay. And it's very refreshing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the Restraint King shows in this book um, and allowing Rosie happiness. Really, I, I love it. This is, as you were saying that, I kept thinking what we're getting with Norman is – apt pupil levels of yes yeah disturbing and disgusting and unsettling but and maybe it's because we have that that flip side which is rosie and todd's flip side was kurt so <laughs> yeah. there was no redemption but yeah it there there is i think she brings so much more to it that just makes the story as dark as it is beautiful yeah i i really enjoy it so about Rosie's hair, um, this is cool because she is in the cafe waiting for Pam and no one has seen her hair yet except for Rhoda and those guys. And she's standing there and at the same time Norman is walking by and he sees this cute blonde with a nice ass like facing away from him in the window of this shop. What do you guys think? It fucking freaked me out this is one of those moments where i'm like i'm expecting the worst Mm -hmm. i expected here's what i expected from this point in the book to the end to be is a literal hunt like i expected edge of your seat he's right behind her the whole time but he sees this blonde woman and he is a creep and is like nice (laughs) (laughs) then he walks off and it's a span of seconds. And he even thinks Rosie's, Rosa's ass used to look like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is just uh, a part of uh, Norman constantly, constantly thinking he knows Rosie and being so, so far off. Yeah. Thinking eh, that can't be Rosie because that woman's hot. And 
hey, guess what? Dingus. Like, it's great. It's really satisfying. Yeah, it's really, really yeah, good. If he, if he thought more about people than just reducing them to nearly nothing, then maybe he would have recognized her. Could be. Uh, as he passes by and sees Rosie, she's turned with her back to her, back to him, with blonde hair, facing away. I just pictured her looking exactly like Rose Matter mm-hmm. in this moment. Yeah. Which is very cool and very creepy <laughs> once we actually meet Rose Matter. Yeah, so he he's walking next to Pam while he's observing Rosie in the window, and he notices Pam, and that's going to come back later, unfortunately. And Pam notices him, and thank God Pam, you know, wasn't like, oh, yeah, that guy. I mean, she acknowledged that he was good looking, but she also acknowledged that something's not right yeah. about this person next to me. A little while passes, Rosie's at home, and she notices a cricket, and then she notices another cricket, and then she notices something even more strange about her painting. This part was kind of Lovecraftian a little bit. I mean, not as gross or weird, but for that to happen. It's it's very surreal. In this, uh, after this coffee date, Rosie goes home, and... um at this point, she I believe she she goes to sleep or something because she has a dream about Bill and uh, riding a motorcycle and flying mm-hmm. on this motorcycle. And I only re- uh, mention this because there's a moment where in this dream, she says a word. She says it's either she can't remember what it is. She says deffel or feffel, but it's a <laughs> it's a magic word that makes them fly. Is, is that going to come back? <laughs> is that? Because it drove I, me insane. I don't this know, entire keep, keep it in your notes and I guess we'll find out. I guess. <laughs> Just a very weird note that I was like, this, how, this has to come back. How amazing. We get all the way to like the very end. There's this epic battle and she goes... Fethel! And, he and just Norman explodes. just like flies into space. <laughs> just catapults him. Uh, but anyway, she has this dream and when she wakes up, she hears crickets. It's super weird because she's on the second floor and she's trying to justify why there are crickets in her house. And that's when she goes to look at the painting and finds more crickets. <laughs> she finds dead crickets. She finds a pink clover flower girl out of, sitting on the baseboard. And the thing that I love the most is that when she picks up the flower and she notices it's the same one that's in the painting, she blows on it and like blows it into the painting. And in her mind's eye, she just sees it gliding straight into the painting and it smacks the glass and drops down. (laughs) You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Lewis Creed. When he sees the ghost and he thinks that he can pass through the door. Oh, yeah. And And he 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 smacks the door. (laughs) Well, to investigate further, because it it didn't go in that way, she decides to cut the back of it to see if there's anything there. And when she cuts it, more crickets tumble out. There's grass and a dead leaf, which I thought was really interesting. She moves the, she takes the whole thing out of the frame and he, like she's examining it. And then she gets uh, a phone call. Yeah. She gets a phone call from Anna Stevenson. And we know she's the director of daughters and sisters. Anna tells her about Peter, who we find out is Anna's ex-husband. Which I was not expecting. Me neither. (laughs) I not. That took me by surprise. And Rosie immediately and very understandably freaks out because she knows that it's Norman, even though Anna is assuring her it's probably not. You know, everybody in your position has this like grand idea that all these things are their fault and it's not. And so Rosie makes a phone call to Bill. In this conversation, does Anna tell her the way he was killed? I don't remember that he he was was bit to death. Yeah. Because Anna is like, don't worry. It's probably not Norman. Yes, he was bit to death. (laughs) And yes, your husband is a crazy cannibal man. But it's probably. Come on, Anna. That's not convincing anyone. (laughs) No. Do you think that Anna really believed that? Do you think she's trying to calm Rosie down? I'm sure it was just a listen. 
I'm trying to calm you down as much as I can and reassure you. Because, like, obviously, right? I don't know. But at the same time, wouldn't it be dangerous to try to calm her down? I mean, wouldn't she want her on alert? To be fair, that's a good point. Because going forward, uh, there are several times where Rosie just goes for a walk. It's like, why? Why are you doing this? Why doesn't she have a dog? Like the biggest dog in the world. <laughs> That's also yeah. a good point. Yeah, she should have, not to say that, you know, she should be living in fear for the rest of her life, but the day after a murder, you should probably be laying low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gives Bill a call. And she says plainly, I can't see you anymore. Like she ends things and breaks things off with him. And before he can basically try to talk her back into it or or get to the bottom of what's going on she hangs up and unplugs her phone so that she can be completely cut off i thought that was that was heartbreaking it was because the way that it, the conversation is set out she hears how excited he is yeah. when he hears her voice on the phone mm-hmm. and then she's like fuck off man yeah for your own good for your own good for your safety well she doesn't even tell him that no, no. She's, she's just like nah i never mind yeah mm-hmm. we can't do this it's a bad idea forget yep. it don't ever call me which uh this is skipping ahead a little <laughs> bit i really need to know what you guys think of bill because last episode i was very i think i threatened to kill myself if they don't have a happy ending <laughs> um but uh i i was very gung ho they they had a super meat cute i really I really shipped these two characters, but Bill is just all red flags. Yeah. Yep. I 100% agree. Right? Yes. Am, is that just me? See, I'm, what? you're, okay. what do you think? So what are, what are, can, what are your red flags? Okay. First this red is, flag, the entire first date and that awkward conversation. <laughs> this is jumping ahead. After she breaks up with Bill, she goes to sleep and uh, the next day at work, She is uh, having a rough day at work, and when she goes to lunch, she leaves to walk by herself. Dumb move. (laughs) But there's a fake out where she looks up and there's a guy standing there, and I, of course, thought, ah, Norman. But it's Bill. He followed her to work after specifically being told, hey... Don't contact me again. He didn't follow, he didn't follow her, to her, to her to work. He well, showed okay, up yes, at her. Yes. <laughs> well, that's not better. Uh, like, it's a little well, better. <laughs> because this is a novel, obviously, okay, yes, he has to come back into her life somehow. It's good. But, like, there are so many things he do, does that in real life would be huge red flags. Like telling her, quote, I can't stay away. Yeah, like there were that he he used some very aggressive terms for his infatuation. Yeah, it's yes, I will give you. <laughs> but the the work thing, like normally that would irk me out. I'd be like, do not ever show up at a lady's work, especially after she tells you to leave her alone. But because he does know some things about her history, mm. not the specific details, but that she's had a rough life. And it's because of her ex-husband and because she very abruptly and uncharacteristically ended things. And Mm -hmm. she was obviously like almost hysterical. She wasn't just like, hey, you know what, man? I'm sorry. I'm actually not interested. I think he knew that she wasn't being honest, that there was something wrong and he wanted to check up on her. I think at this point, if she had said, Bill, fuck off, he would have been like, Okay, I'm gone. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Loud and clear. Peace out. Okay, so we skipped ahead. We did miss a chapter of Norman hunting. Um, my entire notes are, this piece of shit is so fucking repugnant, I can't take notes on this. So I don't know what happened. <laughs> this is on you guys. You, no, you are absolutely right. Absolutely. My notes are very short, too. I just want to talk about the thing he does, like, kind of at the end of this section. The way he describes having everyday normal experiences with average everyday people, no matter gender, color, sexual orientation, height, the way they look, he turns it into this terrible flaw in every aspect of humanity. He just reduces people to terrible things that they are not. He fucking thinks he's Rorschach. Uh, It sucks. 
I also did take one more note is that he's like out and about walking and he keeps talking about how much his jaw hurts yeah. oh, that's from so what he did. But at one point he says, I, I hurt everywhere, my jaw. And he mentions that his groin hurts. And I just wrote in all caps, what did he do to his groin? Doesn't he also refer to himself as a secretor? Yeah, that's not and great. And he wasn't sure what other fluids he left behind. Yeah. <laughs> no. So he, let's talk about what he does when he gets his disguise. Uh, he he goes in this torture time. Peter eventually gave up daughters and sisters in all of this information. So Norman knows that's where he has to start. So he gets a, a really kind of generic disguise and makes his way past the address. All the while thinking about how disgusted he is and how charitable this asshole was and how terrible a person that makes him. And he tries not to draw attention to himself, but it turns out that uh, Cynthia and someone else are in the garden. Gert. Oh, it is Gert. Cynthia and Gert are in the back gardening. And as he turns the corner and sees them, they see him. Cynthia waves and he almost snaps. Like that simple gesture of her politely waving because She's not scared, and she should be scared. That's her place, is to be scared. Norman is fucking terrifying. As he starts to lose it, he he keeps saying that he feels disconnected from himself. He imagines being tethered to his body by a, a string that could snap at any point. He's beyond where he has ever been before. Yeah, and it's... So scary. So I can't wait to talk about how this ends because you don't remember it and I want to see your face. <laughs> he gets so freaked out and he's he's like going to, I think he's afraid he's going to lose control. So he starts chewing on his finger and he starts oh, chewing on it so yeah. badly that it, he's just bleeding from a mouth and this little boy and his mom are on the sidewalk and he hears a little boy go, mommy, what's wrong with that man? And she is like, nothing, let's get out of <laughs> yeah. here. And grabs him and, and briskly walks away. He almost chews his own, like he imagines that one day that this has been a thing he's done since childhood, that when he's stressed, he bites himself. And he thinks about how one day he's just going to absently bite his own finger off. They have chew toys for people. If you need that sort of thing, just buy one. (laughs) And that's when he casually insinuates that he's bitten off and swallowed other people's parts before. (sighs) But all's well that ends well because he spies a flyer for the concert that Rosie will be attending tomorrow. Uh, Anyway, we uh, jump back. It's the next day after Rosie found the crickets. Like I said, she went to work and she's struggling because she's so terrified that Norman is catching up to her. And uh, Bill shows up and they go for a walk. And she is immediately relieved to see him. And so he knows he's not this time being creepy. Yes. (laughs) Even though, yes, he does. He needs to back Uh, off a little bit. Like I said, red flags, but (laughs) this is uh, a book. And I do still, uh, still am holding out hope for these two. (laughs) I would like to talk about the lunch that they have because this is interesting. Um, A lot of times when you go through therapy and you're going to it for a traumatic event, you eventually get to the point where you can discuss that event. Like you could tell anyone else about it very matter of factly, not like a robot, but not with all that emotion and reliving the trauma and getting, you know, your, your, having like almost a flashback of it while you're talking about it. Right. And Rosie kind of does that with Bill talking about Norman, but it didn't feel like healthy in that way that, that it would normally be if someone could just deliver the facts like, yep, these are the things that happened. I've come a long way since she is still definitely in it. Yeah. I I, I agree. She does share. Um, she tells, Their history together. Everything but the tennis racket. Everything but the tennis racket, which is terrible. But I would argue the thing she does tell him about is 
just as bad. Pencil? The pencil. Ben, tell, talk about the pencil. I don't want to. You talk <laughs> about the pencil, Josh. Uh, so one night, uh, Norman took a sharpened pencil and poked her with it. Then he poked her again. And then when she tried to back away, he poked her again and again and over and over until she was cowered in a corner and he was still over her. He'd like poked her with this pencil like over a thousand times. Never drawing blood. I can picture this scene so clearly. And it is so upsetting because she says he has like absolutely no expression on his face. Mm -hmm. Like she's not even human to him. And mm-hmm. and she won't scream because if she thinks if she screams, then he will draw blood. Yep. That is the tennis racket is bad, but the level of psychological torture this is. It's maddening. I'm really proud of Rosie for walking out that front door. But what I wish she would have done is poison his tea or something yes stab <laughs> yeah. him in the middle Just of the night Just him so hard <laughs> the point is she divulges all this information and when she finally looks at bill bill is crying he doesn't even realize he's crying she points it out and he's like what and pulls his tears away she thinks that he'll ask the one question that she doesn't want him to ask and that question is why didn't she leave sooner which Out of everything we've seen from Bill, I also expected that to be the next question. Because Bill just, he just goes for it. He just says whatever's on top of his head. But he doesn't. He doesn't bother asking. He has taken all of this, and it's so much to divulge. And he is so respectful about it. He knows, she talks about not going to the police because she doesn't trust police, because they're brothers. She reassures him that DNS has his photo so everybody will be on the watch for him because you know they have that she knows they have that big event and if he is around that's obviously where he's gonna go and he just accepts it and he walks her back and when she thinks I really miss when he had his arm around me before because that felt amazing almost that exact same moment he slips his arm around her again and they're reconnected and it's a beautiful so cute you guys it is very sweet (laughs) i i will agree with that (laughs) you are you are not wrong ben bill bill just needs some more experience i think that's a very fair point is i think bill talks about i think one or two relationships Mm -hmm. we find out that he was engaged his his fiance uh in my notes i refer to it as his Canadian fiance. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) You can't meet her. She died of a brain aneurysm. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't know her. She was from Canada and dead. (laughs) Uh, I just have to move on from that because I think there's no recovery. This next part is so important. To me specifically. (laughs) Later that night, Rosie goes to bed and she wakes up in the middle of the night to something strange. You guys, Ben, Josh, listeners, this is it. This was my first Stephen King moment. That's right. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Those Stephen King moments. So iconic. So vivid. And I, here I am, eighth grade, what am I, like, 12, 13, reading this book about a very like real issue mm-hmm. and nothing too crazy has happened. The painting is changing, but maybe she's also a little bit nuts. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this happens and it blew my freaking mind. Up to this point, this could be a pretty standard crime thriller novel. And then this chapter happens. I devoured this chapter. Same. It's so cool. I had to go back and make sure that I caught everything in my notes (laughs) because I just, yeah, I just kept reading and reading and reading and I didn't want to stop until it ended. So Rosie wakes up and she looks out into her living room because her things, her apartment does not feel the same. The color is not the same. The smell is not the same. The painting is now taking up 
her entire wall. And she does what any reasonable person would do. She steps into it. Yeah. Yeah, she goes full Mario. (laughs) And we are on the other side of this painting. And there is an easel under a tree. And she looks at it. And it is a painting of her room. With her asleep in the bed. Mm -hmm. So cool. (laughs) (laughs) She meets Wendy Yarrow's twinner, Dorcas. Wait, what did you just say? Wait, what's her name? Yeah. That's it. Isn't it Dorcas? Yeah. Did I say it wrong? It was? Yeah. That's a Greek name, I, right? Yeah, Dorcas. <laughs> I was like, oh, how did I, I miss that? Dorcas. No, no, it's, it's Dorcas. Because throughout this whole thing, she just refers to her as Wendy Yarrow in yeah. quotes. I, my brain must have blacked that out from my memory. It just redacted the word Dorcas. Because I never would have stopped laughing. What's funny is she actually refers to her as Dorcas more than Wendy. Because in my notes, I refer to her more as Wendy. And I'm like, should I call her Dorcas? (laughs) We absolutely should. Always call them Dorcas. (laughs) Okay, so she meets her. And the woman herself, Rose Matter. We're going to get to Wendy in just a moment because I have a lot to say about Wendy. Sorry, who? Uh, Dorcas, my apologies. <laughs> but first, I want to talk about the description of Rose Matter that Rosie gives us. The the description I didn't take much notes on, but her her reaction to her is what I want to talk about. So you, she describes her voice. Her voice comes out as this low, husky thing that Rosie imagines when men hear a voice like that. All they can think of is sex. But there's something wrong with it. It's like She's trying to remember how to sound and be human. And she appears to be rotting from the inside out. Yeah, there are these weird shadows on her grayscale. skin. Yeah, totally. I, I thought grayscale. Yeah. <laughs> Holy <laughs> fuck. <laughs> you guys, I that did not put that together at all. It, in fact, it took me a while to get that. Uh, uh, my first impression of when she stepped into it. Um, was this all reminded me so much of the talisman. And mm-hmm. I was at thinking, are we in the territories right now? Which I was like, that would be so cool. There's this twinner here. Mm-hmm. That's a connection. And it wasn't until Rose Matter says, this is our Ka, and mentions Lud mm-hmm. that she has seen heads on spikes outside of the city of Lud that I was like, oh, fuck, we're in Midworld right now. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm, yeah, I had not made that connection. What I love is, yeah, she's she looks rotting and all this. And as Rose is starting to look at her, <laughs> Dorcas, uh, d- Puts her arm on Rosie's shoulder and says, uh, quote, girl, don't look, you look straight at her. That's not for the likes of you. That is, you can just feel power. Power and Ro- danger. Danger. She is some sort of almost goddess-like being. I don't know what the fuck her deal is yet, but it's awesome. Wendy also warns Rosie not to touch Rose Matter. And she says that she means her no harm, but she doesn't have very good control over herself anymore. Rose Matter has a favor to ask of Rosie. Did either of you have any idea that she was going to ask her to rescue her baby? Yeah, 100%. I I didn't know. (laughs) At this point, anything could have happened. Um, I would like to disagree with your use of the word favor. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't think she's asking a favor. That's, I think she is saying, go get me my fucking baby. She's asking a demand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. She's, she does say, what you do for me, I will do for you. Because I that's repay. Balance. Yeah. I repay. Ooh. That is our car. Yeah. Fuck yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I like, she, she knows there's an opportunity here. So, you do this for me, and I, like, almost, if you do, you do this for me, so I can do this for you. Because they couldn't do the favor the other way around. Mm -hmm. She asks her to rescue her baby, who is in the labyrinth beyond the temple, and it is guarded by a one-eyed bull, Irenes, who may not be able to see, but his sense of smell is fine. Irenes. Oh, Irenes? Irenes. 
I'm not gonna. I pronu- can't say that word. I'm not gonna pronounce it right. I and have braces. I said. <laughs> you blame it on your braces. I have braces. <laughs> okay. I, I, in my head, I pronounced no, it. So Aaron, yes. I have braces. Aaron, yes. Um. <laughs> well, okay. So which I I want to. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, one thing I took a note of because they give this bowl uh, a name, and everything in this world is. Uh, very greek feeling this greek looking temple there's a bull in a ma- uh, maze which is super minotaur you know so i looked up is this a thing and it is irenes erin yes whatever irenes <laughs> sure in greek myth is the uh, an alternate name for the furies which in greek myth are actually a group of female revenge deities, which I thought was really (laughs) weird that he took that name and gave it to a male death beast. Like, yeah, that is interesting. I I didn't know what the connection or if it was just like, that's a cool name. That nobody <laughs> will be able to pronounce. Well, it's also Josh. exactly. <laughs> it's also neat because the fates see all, and this bull is blind. It's a weird. It's a, a twist, pretty much everywhere. Hmm. Yeah. Wendy leads Rosie to the edge of the temple grounds, and she tells her that she cannot go any further. Rosie has to go herself. She has the same illness as Rose Matter, and the bull would smell her. She then gives Rosie a bizarre set of instructions. Do you guys want to talk about this, or do you just want me to list off the weird shit she tells her to do? Oh, read off the list. One, strip naked, rip your nightgown into several strips. Two, soak one of the strips in my blood after I slice open my arm real super hard. (laughs) Tie that around a rock. Three, wrap the rest of your nightgown around all of that. Four, go through the temple, stop for nothing, no matter what, no matter what you see or hear. Five, find the one not dead tree cross the stream to get to it but don't touch the water or drink from it or you will forget everything you know six, uh, is that sticks yeah isn't that yeah sticks thing six gather the seeds from the one living tree and for god's sakes don't put your hands in your mouth after you pick up the seeds seven find the baby and bring her out eight don't get killed by the bull all those seem pretty easy except for eight and everything <laughs> and all of this anytime rosie's like what's that now she's like shut up <laughs> don't ask questions um don't ask men's questions which are of yes. course questions you know the answer to I which love is that. hysterical can we talk about wendy i i think Who? i meant dorcas <laughs> i think i mentioned this maybe last episode but i love that this woman who was brutally murdered by norman just this unfair situation she gets another shot and she gets to be a badass and she gets to be instrumental in the plan to bring him down. Yeah. That is very cool. We, we even find more of her badassery a little bit later, but in this first setup scene, that's what I thought too, is after finding out that Norman brutally murdered her to know that even though Norman's probably never going to know the fact that she had a hand in, Mm -hmm. in this is really, really cool. And it makes it seem in some weird way to me, like, it lessens him. It makes it seem like what he does does not matter. And even though it does, because he's murdering people, but it just right. takes away some of his power. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Okay, guys. Let's go on this adventure. Rosie enters the temple. Uh, she sees some sexy ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this temple, it's... it's um, she keeps seeing shadows of things from the real world the fallen statue that you could see in the painting Mm -hmm. with its head turned away is the head of the creepy mustache guy that she saw when she first got to the city yep the uh the cat caller guy cat calling guy yeah. Do you want to do the dog, baby? Do Which I dog think doing. is hysterical. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there's a, a stone relief carving of Norman as a young man. Is this temple specifically tailored for Rosie? Or if someone else had discovered it, would it be tailored towards them? I assume it would be tailored towards whoever discovers it because the temple wants to keep her 
mm. away from. Yeah, and uh, also she didn't recognize those faces when they were in the painting because she wasn't there. Good point. In the book, the sexy book. <laughs> yeah, the 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 she walks through, and the first room is this uh, church. She even says it looks like the church she grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are these destroyed hymnals everywhere, and she picks it up, and it's just like pictures of fucking and stuff uh, that reaches out to her. Like the ink starts flowing mm-hmm. towards her hand, and she throws it across the room. In this part, there's one other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is um, she's going through it and uh, Dorcas, I can't, um, (laughs) had told her, like, anything that happens, don't worry. It's a place of ghosts and ghosts can't hurt you. But that doesn't make it less scary. I and yeah. I I don't know why, but I don't buy that. I don't think she was lying to her, but I think she's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, yeah, it, it could go either way. But the the thing I wanted to talk about is that as she's walking through it, she says that she makes a point of not running because she knows if she starts running, that she won't stop. And that is a kingism that I can't put my <laughs> finger on. Who we have definitely, who does that remind you of? Is that Ben Marston's in the, or Ben Mears in the that Marston house? That is the house? first person I thought of was Ben Mears. Was it, it's Salem's definitely, Law. yeah, a recurring. We've definitely read that before. Yes. Uh, and I love it. It's it's a really cool, like, I know that feeling. Uh she needs to walk through this temple the way I walk through haunted houses, staring at her feet. <laughs> what you can't see won't scare you. Well, the next part, the next phase that she explores, she has to watch her footing because she has to cross a river that is now in this massive storm has has built up. So the stepping stones are these tiny little stepping stones. And she knows that not only can she not drink the water, she can't touch the water. And there's this brief moment where she debates the idea of of erasing all of her memories might not be such a bad idea and the water smells really good and she's so thirsty but practical sensible reminds her that she'd forget bill and in that moment she she finds some resolve and she just makes her way across and the second she gets across not thirsty anymore what do you guys think about miss practical sensible now way to come to bat yeah, I I did make note of that, that Practical Sensible has been this tormentor almost, this uh, crying, just go back, don't do this, this whole book, and here saves her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had thought of Practical Sensible as uh, an antagonistic voice up to this point, but I don't think it is. It's Practical Sensible does want what's best for Rosie it's just what it thinks is best isn't always. Yeah. Very true. The whole time that she is making her way through this temple and this garden and the labyrinth, she hears the baby crying. And she names the baby Caroline, which was going to be her baby's name. Of Thank course. you, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of, of course it was. I mean, the second she said, go get my baby. And... uh even though we have not seen Rose Matter's face, it's it's pretty obvious that they're mm-hmm. twinners. And even yeah, later, like, she says, our baby. And then she's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, I can't believe I just talked back to this terrifying <laughs> right. woman. Yeah. Well, we find out the the pomegranate seeds that she finds when she sees the, the tree, they split open. When she takes these seeds down into the maze, there's no lights in the maze. And these give off a green glow. And... She realizes that she can't just search randomly and haphazardly. So in order to do this, she yells so that the baby will hear her and cry louder, but also draw the attention of her And she Hansel and Gretel's her way towards the center of the maze. While she's navigating the labyrinth, she hears the bull trying to find her or trying to find the baby or trying to find both of them. And she finally gets to the center of the maze, and she sees Caroline. And the bull. Who is two tons and six feet tall with sharp horns that are about a foot in length. I would have just died right there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's actually an interesting thing. I thought she was going to die. Really? Oh. Yes. 
Okay, here's what I, because it's, as she picks up the baby, she remembers she has this stone covered in the bloody rag, and she bowls it away from her, and the the bull charges off, and as she's running towards the exit, she talks about how it, it's that underwater feeling of when you're having a bad dream and you're trying to run. The bull turns and comes after her, and it's about to run her down, and it misses her exit by one. Here's what I thought the rest of the... See, this whole book, I've been trying to get ahead of the book. I've been trying to... (laughs) Okay, I know what the rest of the book's going to be. I thought she was going to die. She was going to get run down and gored and then wake up. Oh. And because uh, at the end of the last segment, uh, the last episode, there was a section where she said, uh, and that was the last dreamless night she had in a long time oh did you oh. think it was going to be like a groundhog day where yes she kept dying i until thought she, saved her? she was going the rest of the book was going to be her getting up going about her day going back to sleep and having to do this maze again and I'd again read that. until yeah, read she that. could save the baby that's what i thought the book was going to be and i was wrong but <laughs> that's that's cool too well fortunately for her that is not the case rosie makes it out alive with caroline and she reluctantly, because again, Rose Matter is terrifying, returns the baby to Rose Matter. And Rose Matter says more times than she needs to. It's like, lady, I get it. Please stop talking that she repays and that she will be divorced of Norman soon. And that her voice sounds musing, thoughtful, and insane as she says it. Okay, let's talk more oh, about Wendy. One last thing. They say that the baby, she's reluctant to give it to Rose Matter. Because she's like, oh, this woman's crazy. But Wendy tells her, don't worry, the baby's going to be safe. She's not ours to keep. Mm-hmm. At the end of this, we have a we have a journey still. And at the end of the journey, we'll pass her off to, you know what, never mind. Who? What? Where does this baby end up? This chapter is so the eyes of the dragoning us <laughs> <laughs> right oh it's, god i i'm racking my mind to be like okay this baby has to tie into the dark tower mythos somehow who could it be someone we know maybe some uh, we'll have to do a deep dive once we finish the book so we don't get anything spoiled <laughs> definitely i would like to hear wendy's monologue the end of her journey this particular journey ends with Rose Matter giving an awesome monologue about she's she's going to screw up Norman for Rosie and Wendy saying something pretty badass. I know advice is hard to take in matters of sorrow, but think about my qualifications to give it. I was born in slavery, raised in chains, and ransomed to freedom by a woman who's not quite a goddess. Her. She's drunk the waters of youth, and she made me drink too. Now we go on together, and I don't know about her. But sometimes when I look in the mirror, I wish for wrinkles. I buried my children and their children and their children's children into the fifth generation. I've seen wars come and go like waves on a beach that roll and rub out the footprints and wash away the castles in the sand. I've seen bodies on fire and heads by the hundreds poked onto poles along the city of Lud. I've seen wise leaders assassinated and fools put up in their places. And still... I live. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. That's I just, I just, love that so much. And I yeah. want to be, I want to go on their journey with that. Just another instance of right, give us that book too. Yeah. I, I want that book too. Okay. So she sends Rosie back and gives her her arm bracelet. Well, gives her, makes her take her arm bracelet. Yeah. Rosie doesn't really want much more to do with Rose matter. She wakes up the next morning and, and they had told her to, before she left, Forget what you need to forget. Remember what you need to remember. So the next morning, she doesn't really remember what happened. But like snippets, Mm -hmm. words they said are kind of coming through to her as she's getting ready. And she's also noticing all these muscle aches and scratches from the garden and the labyrinth. And she she notices the pomegranate stains on her fingertips. And knows just Mm -hmm. enough to scrub it off. Yep. She doesn't know why, but she knows not to put them in her mouth. So she goes to the painting and she notices that it's changed again. It's no longer overcast. So now the woman, the Rose Matter woman, is shielding her eyes and it makes sense because there's sunshine. 
So she does now a reasonable thing, and she puts that sucker in the closet. (laughs) And uh, as she's going about and deciding, you know what, I'm just going to get rid of the painting. I don't need it anymore. In fact, she's scared of it. She is uh, getting ready to go, and she looks under her bed, and she finds the golden armband and three seeds, (laughs) which have to come up again right don't tell me <laughs> don't tell me cm they do though right they do come back and real quick i want to mention ben because you talked about how rosie and norman are connected mm-hmm. supernaturally while she is in the labyrinth he dreams of her and he mm-hmm. sees her making her way through the garden and he kind of encounters rose matter yeah as he's sleeping he hears her behind him and her sneaking up and saying I repay and like forcefully makes himself wake up Mm -hmm. to get rid uh, to get free from her, which God, I can't wait. I hope that (laughs) lady does something real crazy bad to him. So we're going to move on to Norman has this plan. He gets a disguise. He is going to show up at this concert. He's going to find Rosie, take care of business. Meanwhile, Rosie and Bill go on their second cute date and they go to this uh, this beach that he's gone to since he was a kid and it's, they make out and it's very sweet. It, it is very sweet, although uh, he does tell her, I love you yeah. on their second date. <laughs> Have I mentioned red flags? Yeah. Also, episode? he brings all of the food imaginable to this picnic. <laughs> Which, Which actually is pretty cute. I like that. erases all red flags. Ladies, no matter what a guy does, if he brings all the food. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Anyway, that this spot's going to come back, so just, you know, make note of it. Oh, shit. Let's, let's talk about Norman. May I? Yeah. All right. I would like to talk about this plan. Norman... Oh. Has scouted the pier. He has his whole costume. He spent the whole day getting all the things together. He shaved his head. He's got a disguise. Oh, I he, The shaving his head scene is the most intense scene <laughs> in the, so far in the book where he just walks into a, a barber shop and stares at a guy until he shaves his head. And it's very scary. And he says he wants to look like the one and only bull, Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Did not make that. Yeah. That's a that's an insane connection. But um, so he get he has a wheelchair that he has put uh, a like bumper sticker on that says "I'm a man that respects women." And he's he covered has, it. In he's covered stickers. the car in bumper stickers, but he's also got one on the wheelchair. He his plan is to pull off a redeemed uh, misogynist. Essentially, he knows that. The people closest are the people that they want. You, you can tell they want to be a part of this so bad, but they're still on the outside, which means people will acknowledge him and want to make him feel included, but not so included that they want to keep talking to him, which is genius. Now, the first mistake he makes is that he pays for his ticket and he's all the while thinking, whatever I do, don't get noticed. And then the guy's <laughs> like, hey. Hey, I've got your change. <laughs> Literally five <laughs> seconds upon getting there, he causes a huge scene. Yeah. And it made me laugh so hard. Because <laughs> immediately it's like I something real bad is gonna happen. His plans are really bad. And then immediately he almost foils himself. And right. it's it feels great. So he stays at, the, at this place for for hours like they bring him lunch like he's been going around and Gert keeps noticing him and is not sure why she's noticing him and Norman has also noticed her and he's trying to kind of stay away from her and Gert even thinks that could be Norman I'm not sure why I feel this way but it could be and she even goes to the the ticket taker and physically manhandles <laughs> him when he won't pay attention. Gert is a badass. Gert's mm-hmm. so amazing. Yeah. And she shows him the picture and like, you you yelled at this guy. This is the guy. And he says, oh, yeah, I called him back because he gave me a 10 and two ones. Uh, and the, the price, it's like $7 for admission for handicap. And he made that mistake because he didn't know mm-hmm. that there was a handicap price. He just paid normal because he's used to paying normal. And that's when 
Gert knows something's up and Gert is going to find this guy. Mm -hmm. She's not going to call security. Not yet. Why? Well, because unfortunately or fortunately, she's got to pee. (laughs) Sure. Um, Real quick, before we get to what Gert does, which is maybe my favorite part of the entire book so far. I want to go through this scene very shortly from Norman's perspective. Because I I have a question for you guys that I think really informs uh, his character. Okay. He's going through and he arrives and it's fascinating in how terrible he is, but also how fucking timely his character is. This character, unfortunately, exists a lot today. I can imagine a current day remake being made of him with a MAGA hat. Like he shows up at this place in his disguise and thinks about how if he had a uh, a machine gun, mm-hmm. he could make the world a better place. Ugh. Yeah. Big gulp. But uh, he he's going about and he doesn't, he's hunting for Rosie and he can't find her. And the longer he's there, the more he's having a panic attack because he's like, I should be winning. This is this is my big moment. I should be I should have found her by now. And he's he's freaking out and he thinks she should be here. She's a mouse. She should be here. And then he thinks, well, maybe she's changed. And immediately he shuts it down. It's it's so he can't think that. And there's another thought behind that that he won't allow himself to think. And I wanted to ask you guys what you think it is. Well, I was just going to say first, I think he won't allow himself to think that because he's connected to her and he is stalking her by being able to get inside of her head. And if she has changed, then he might be completely wrong Mm -hmm. and that'll foil his plans. That's exactly that. He won't allow himself to think that he's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I assume that he was thinking she met someone. I mean, because I feel Mm. like that's what all ended relationships think. He thinks that she must be working as a prostitute because she's useless. That's something that he says earlier on. That's right. That's part of his, like, he thinks he knows Mm -hmm. people and he fucking doesn't because he's uh, the worst. My my thought is he was thinking the, the thought he won't allow himself to have is maybe she's better off without me. Ooh. Because his his oh god yeah his masculinity is so fragile. Whoa. He thinks that the world is garbage, and the only use that she has is being with him. That being with him makes her worthwhile because he's the only good thing in the world. Yeah, and if he thinks, wait, maybe she's better off without me. His whole worldview fucking crumbles. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that fits. Right. Yeah, I'm on board with that. That's it. Anyway, now he gets uh, peed on, which is... (laughs) (laughs) Way to lead with the best part. (laughs) Uh, This is the the action sequence we've been begging for. Fuck. Norman takes up a vantage point by the women's bathroom uh, in hopes that he can either overhear some things, he can get someone alone and get some information from one of these girls. Um, He unlucky for Cynthia. She's the one who comes by and he grabs her and uh, rips her clothes, pins her against the wall and bites her shoulder and drinks her blood. <sighs> Luckily, uh, Lana has, it runs into Gert and says, Oh yeah, I, I think I saw that guy. And she says, all right, but I have to pee first. <laughs> and she goes and she hears what she thinks sounds like people having sex because Gert has terrible instincts. <laughs> well, I, she just hears like some, some moaning and like, I mean, he's got his hand over her mouth and he's mm. biting. So like, there are some sounds I could confuse he's having sex. He, yeah, he is. Ugh. Uh, then she hears him whisper a threat. And that's when she bursts around the corner and sees that Norman is holding Cynthia and that he's already broken her nose as he's interrogating her. And she double axe handles him in the back. Hell but yes. <laughs> he is impossibly quick and he has just enough time to get out of the way 
where it's not a one hit knockout. And she like still makes contact, but doesn't take him down. And then Norman goes one on one with the great one, (laughs) Gert. Big mistake, Norman. And Gert does. I I don't like that I'm going to say this, but I need to say it because she thinks about what she knows about him and she knows she has to take him off his game. What can I do to throw him completely into madness? And she thinks about the fact that she knows the piece of Peter Slowick that's missing. And so she says, she says something akin to, uh, yeah, eating another. Uh, did you like the way that tasted fag boy? And Norman loses his fucking mind. Yeah. It's not a great word. No, uh, I don't like that I had to say it. But the fact that it is... It triggers him so hard. is able to read him so well, so fast, that it's like, use what you got, I guess. And it works. It works so well. And so he is coming at her wild, and she's able to defend herself and get these shots in until finally she takes him down, mounts him. And in this chaos, she's torn her pants and she, uh, she's taunting him. And the note I made was Gert is taunting him so much that this is not going to end well. And she's working her way, working her way up his body, keeping him pinned down. And basically, and she thinks about what she, what Rosie has said and it basically says, so, uh, so Rosie tells me you're a kidney man. Well, I've got a message from her kidneys through my kidneys to you and just pees on him <laughs> in his face. Okay. For a second. <laughs> I just think thought- about it. I love it so much. <laughs> I thought she was going to fart in his face. <laughs> I don't know. She's oh, also no. not on his face. She's on his chest. Yeah, but her but. butt is aimed <laughs> at his face. She's working no, her way forward, not him. backwards. She didn't okay. hold him down reverse cowgirl. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was imagining. Oh, okay. right. No, it was the other way. Any, either way, it's crazy. It's amazing. Uh, and we here at Dairy Public Radio just want to say, it's okay if you like dicks. You can be a dude and like them. You can be a lady and like them. Get on it. That's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Yes, that's Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh a- anyway, yeah, it, it's this fight, I completely agree. I thought Gert was dead. I 100 percent I knew, obviously, uh having read Desperation, knew Cynthia survives, but one thousand percent thought Gert was dead. The fact that she gets the better of him, even after being tased, he tases her. <laughs> yeah. And she still, I think she breaks her his wrist. Yeah. Like she grabs her wrist and twists it. That they not only get the better of him, they fucking embarrass him. They destroy him. It is <laughs> so good. My, so good. My favorite moment, P aside, is the fact that when he's holding the taser and Gert's, Gert's like, I could go after him, but he's got that taser. Fuck it. It's a good day to die if I go and just fuck goes. Yes. Like, hell yeah, Gert. Fucking That's warf very, energy. Yes. Yeah. It's very Klingon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cynthia and Gert both survive. They are taken to the hospital. Norman takes off. He runs. We'll catch back up with him later, unfortunately. Unfortunately. We are at the hospital. Rosie and Bill show up. This is very sad because Rosie is looking around at everybody. She's looking at their eyes and their weight. She's waiting for it. She is waiting for the judgment the accusation and they have nothing but love and concern of course and compassion for her. The hospital room is also full of police Norman's brothers, but Bill is there and he's being supportive And this chapter and our part two ends and we could not have picked a better spot with Rosie telling the cops, the man who did this is Norman Daniels. He's my husband. He's a police detective and he's crazy. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode, part three of Rose Matter, where we will be covering all the way to the end of the book. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, 
Violence against one woman is a crime against all women. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to part two of Rose Matter. We hope you enjoyed it. We're really looking forward to finishing this book together. We'd love to hear your thoughts on social media at Dairy Public Radio, or you can email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us immensely. And if you want more content, please check out our website, constantreaders.org, and our Patreon, patreon.com slash dairypublicradio. We are so thrilled that we have some new patrons this month, and we'd like to give a shout out to all of you wonderful supporters. Alicia Lillian, Bill Graham, Bryant Burnett, Jennifer Dolge, Jeremy Marr, Casey Bauer, Lisa Kahn, Matt Kendall, Phil, Reed Flynn, Renaissance Bear Pictures, Spanky, Tammy Ann Fiella, sorry if I mispronounce that, Tammy, Tony Rizzo, and Tori Lynn McCammy. Thank you all so much. That's all for now, listeners. I'll leave you with this. The following pronunciation is brought to you by pronouncenames.com. Torcus. Torcus.